This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com, and the wonderful Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, we finally made it to the postseason, and it is, this is a blast. I mean, uh, this, it seems like every series has something going on that has captivated audiences everywhere, and uh, it's been fun, at least from my perspective, in a weird way of being able to hear about these other games while I'm at the game that I'm watching. And you see, hear the rumblings in the press room or you hear the rumblings in the press box and everyone's starting to whisper about, oh, did you see this? Did you see that? And everyone trying to pull up their phones real quick and figure out what's going on in every other series. So um, the more whispers, the more excitement it seems like that's going around in baseball, and there's been a lot. So um, I know it's right up your alley um, because everything that's weird that happens, I'm like, well, Sarah's going to find something about this. So uh, we'll be able to see her Twitter in a second, and I can get caught up. So uh, this has been a ridiculously fun start to the postseason. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's been amazing. And I want to start with the series you were covering. So you are talking to, uh, to me, to all of us right now, from your hotel in New York. You are covering, of course, your team that you cover, the Guardians, playing the Yankees. We have an off day today on Wednesday as we're recording. Both AL series are off today. And I was wondering if we know where the series stands, if anyone doesn't. Yankees won last night 4-1. to uh, Questions about the Yankees' bullpen were quieted at least for one night after you know, all of that they've dealt with, leaving Roldis Chapman off the roster. The fact that Scott Efros discovered recently needs Tommy John surgery. And everything that's gone on with that bullpen. Stephen Kwan did hit a home run. The Guardians have scored four runs, all via the home run this postseason. But so far, it is Yankees 1-0. But what I want to talk about to start with the series is, do you want to do a little behind the scenes? What is it like to cover 
postseason baseball because we know what you do on a day-to-day basis. But in October, there are a lot more eyeballs, a lot more people hanging around. So what is it like? I mean, like you said, it, it is a lot more attention, especially for a team that's not used to getting very much attention. Um, you come to New York and that's flipped upside down. And so Tito sort of talked to the guys about that saying, okay, like this is, this is a little different. You're going to finally feel like you're the uh, the only only game that matters, the only game that's on TV today. And, and that's going to feel like a completely different atmosphere than what you've been used to. Um, and it's, it's fun. It's like you get there super early before the game start. You start getting – way more players start filing through the press rooms when you're sitting there and you're you're starting to talk to two or three players at a time sitting up at the podium you're just so used to just standing in the clubhouse and mingling with a couple different guys or asking whoever you need uh, a question or two but in the postseason you're not really in the clubhouse as much you're waiting for everyone to get filed through that that press room and there's so many people sitting there as opposed to what's usually just me, Zach Meisel, and Paul Hoynes. So uh, it's definitely more than just three of us now. Uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and and of course every single pitch matters, and it doesn't get more enjoyable than that. And there's not many atmospheres that can compare to Yankee Stadium and the loudness. I don't even think I. There's no words to describe how ridiculous ridiculously loud it was. I felt like I was at. A con like a rock concert sitting in the front row. I looked at Zach Meisel who was sitting beside me, and I said, "My ears are actually ringing." And this was within thirty seconds of the game starting. Um, it was just it was unbelievable. It was unlike anything that Cleveland's ever played in at this point. All these guys are children, so they've never had any experience like this. So um, it's it's a it's a lot of fun to cover. It's, it's the intensity is so much more. Um, you're writing so much more. You're focused on so much more. And uh, you're, you're trying to talk to as many different people as you can and, and balancing what's, what's the most important thing to do today and, and what can wait till tomorrow. So it's a, it's a mess, but it's a, it's a really fun mess. It sounds like a ton of fun. I'm so excited for you that the team you cover made it here. I feel like early in the year, we, like everybody else, would not have seen this coming. And of course, the way our schedules work at MLB.com, you still would have gotten a chance to fill in with some postseason coverage. We really beef up the teams of people that are covering these teams. So we have additional reporters who are there helping to cover each team so you will get that chance and whatever regardless. But it's so awesome that you get to cover this team with Terry Francona and with, you know, the group you've been with all year and for so long. So I'm so excited for you and for all of our reporters, especially some of the younger ones, who are getting a first chance maybe to do this, especially with the fact that last year was kind of atypical in terms of how celebrations went. I believe media was not allowed in during that because of COVID. And then of course, 2020 was super different. So from my, where I stand, it seems like this is the first normal postseason since 2019. So I feel like there are a lot of people 
at outlets across the country and at ours who are really getting to experience this in this way for maybe the first or second time. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, I, my first year was 2019 and it felt like it was a whole year of just finding your footing and figuring out how this job works. And then all of a sudden it's flipped upside down the next two years when you were ready to really be confident and like, okay, I know what I'm doing now. And it's like, never mind. You got to just learn how to do this weird virtual zoom world and yeah ready to move on from that world so it's nice to be back at this point it's nice to be able to get some normalcy back around the clubhouses um and it's especially fun whenever you're watching this team celebrate like they did over the weekend whenever they're beating the rays after 15 grueling innings it was, almost took five hours for them to get to that point he's like i got it I was looking for it, and I didn't miss it. And it's in celebration mode. He went around the bases with every step there was. He did basketball, dribbled, sidestep. I think he was making up dances along the way, but why not? Quite the celebration that they had afterwards. They were so excited. And so, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been nice to be able to see that firsthand. And we'll look ahead briefly to game two. So that will be Shane Bieber and Nestor Cortez. Bieber, of course, one of the five guys so far this postseason to put in a start of at least seven innings. That's already one more than we saw all of last postseason. And then we'll put the context here. So this applies for every series we're going to talk about, but we'll start here. So in the history of best of five series in the postseason, that game one winner goes on to win the series. 102 of 144 times that's 71 percent so game two is certainly going to tell us a lot about where that goes that's obvious of course but how do we think the guardians are feeling with bieber on the mound and how do you feel about that matchup bieber and nestor two different answers there how they feel about bieber is confidence is always sky high I mean, it's hard after the start that he just came off of in the wild card round. I mean, you see where his stuff is. They're going to feel confident in him. The issue is, I think Nestor Cortez is going to be a very difficult matchup for the lineup because this lineup struggles so much against lefties. Um, you know, Nestor has been really impressive for New York, and I think it's going to be difficult for Cleveland to get some steam going. Um and they've been struggling so far offensively, so I don't think this is the guy that you suddenly figure it out against. So I think that they have a, a difficult a difficult task at, ahead of them, but they need to win one of these two in New York if they really want to make sure that they have a shot of at least extending the series beyond Game 3, Game 4, trying to force the Game 5, whatever it may be, um, trying to get to the ALCS. So this will be a, a crucial one, but it's going to be very difficult, I think, for Cleveland. All right, let's stay in the American League and move to the Mariners-Astros series. So, you know, I'm sitting here. I'm always thinking about our podcast. I'm always thinking, what am I going to talk to Mandy about? I'm so excited for it. Early in the game, the Astros yesterday in game one, beating up on Justin Verlander. Julio Rodriguez has two extra base hits scored a handful of runs, all of these things through three, four innings. I'm like, oh great, we're going to talk about Julio, we're going to talk about Cal Raleigh, Big Dumper, as everybody knows now, the best nickname in baseball right now. And then the game changed significantly. 
So if you're familiar with win probability, even if you don't know how it works, if you've ever seen those graphs, this was my favorite win probability graph of all time. So basically it shows the chance that the team has, either team, to win the game at any moment of the game. So the Mariners went ahead early and were above 50% the whole game. They get to the ninth, they're up, it's very high, it's in the 90s, couple of guys reach, it drops a little bit, and then I believe entering the Jordan Alvarez plate appearance, it was 89% for the Mariners, even in that moment. And then Jordan does what Jordan does. The 0-1. And Alvarez belts it deep to right field. Instant goodbye. Unbelievable. The Astros a walk-off win. Jordan Alvarez a walk-off three-run homer. And the graph just completely drops down like a straight line. I mean, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to Baseball Savant, where I tweeted, the Mariners tweeted, everyone tweeted Go find it. It is a piece of art, not for Mariners fans. I'm sorry to the Mariners fans, but Jordan Alvarez, what a plate appearance, what a moment. And it was one of those moments where I feel like everyone knew it was going to happen. Scott Service brought in Robbie Ray. He took out Paul Stewart, who actually has better numbers against lefties than Robbie Ray does. But of course, Robbie Ray, sighing winner, Really great pitcher. It felt to me like one of those moments that they discussed before the series and said, if we have a moment where it makes sense, we're going to bring in Ray to face Gordon. I'm not sure that this was actually that moment. And I think that's what kind of happened. But I also think Gordon is inevitable. How many times have you seen a home run celebration between the batter and his teammates in the dugout before he even gets to first base? I think that was incredible. That was so funny to me because, yes, there was, I mean, the bat flip was epic, of course, and he was so fired up. The team's fly, flying out of the first base dugout and he's taking a couple slow steps he's taking his time he's cherishing the moment and they're already lining up down the first baseline they're all high-fiving him they're all freaking out right beside him you're used to that around third base whenever he's about to come back uh, home and instead they got him on his way to first and then of course again at the plate uh, I I that moment I was sitting at Yankee Stadium doing pregame stuff and I was already starting to monitor early in the game. I'm like, oh my goodness, the Mariners are already up four in the second inning. I was talking about it with people sitting around me. Zach's like, Zach Meisel kept saying like, oh, yep, I'm telling you, it's going to be the Mariners. They're, they're making a run this year. They're a tricky team. Like, I believe you. Like, I, I think the same thing. They're really, really great. And I started to see some tweets saying, okay, the Mariners asked for postseason. Mariners asked for this. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, what happened? Like, what, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, they're only up by two in the ninth. Ah, they're fine. They'll still get it. It's whatever. It's the ninth. There was, what, one out? Yeah, it'll be good. And then all of a sudden I start to hear rumbles across the press box in the press room everywhere we were. 
everyone's like, oh my gosh, did you guys see this? And I'm like, thinking, oh boy, what happened? What, what's going on? So I immediately run to my phone and I start updating Twitter to figure it out. I'm like, oh my gosh, Robbie Ray happened. How did this happen? How did, how did this turn? And so, of course, I have to go then watch all of the clips that I could find because I wasn't able to watch as it was live. I wasn't able to see it as it was going because we were working. But it was just so f- cool to hear how it gets down the press box. It was like this weird game of um, that telephone game where you like keep whispering to the person beside you and eventually you get caught up. Well, the message didn't get altered in this game of telephone. Everyone just was awed and saying, oh my gosh, the Astros are really ridiculously good. There's a reason that Jordan Alvarez is going to get some MVP votes this year. There's a reason for all of this. And what a moment that that was. Um, I couldn't imagine watching that game live. I couldn't imagine watching how that was. I thought it was hilarious. What there were clips like out in the bullpen of the guys freaking out out there. Everything was just, it was like kids in a candy shop. And I loved, I loved all of that aspect of it. So this game gave me a stat that blew my mind. And usually I don't say that about things that I find, but I was shocked by this. That was the first walk-off home run in postseason history with the players' team trailing by multiple runs. It was only the fourth ever while the team was trailing at all, but the other three were all by one run. I was shocked by that because you just saw a walk-off home run in Game 2 of the Wild Card Series. We've seen plenty of them. And I did not process to me that all of those have been in tie games. For you, this was the first wall trailing in your lifetime. For me, I just barely got one, but I don't remember it. So the others were (laughs) the infamous, famous, very, very famous Joe Carter in Game 6 of the 93 World Series. So that's the one I just barely got. Kirk Gibson in World Series Game 1 in 1988, and Lenny Dykstra in the 1986 NLCS. So those were the only other walk-off home runs while the team was trailing, but those were all trailing by one run. But it's crazy to me because the thing about baseball is that it always feels possible until that lasts out. And I've watched so many postseason games and you always feel like when a guy like him, like Jordan Alvarez, is at the plate, it always feels possible. And it is, but it's crazy to me that that hadn't happened while trailing even just by two ever before. I am, that's mind blowing because you wouldn't really, you wouldn't think it's that rare because you see it throughout the season. You think of all the walk-offs that have happened and uh in postseason history and so wow that's really awesome that that was the first time ever anytime you get a first time ever in postseason uh that's pretty special and so okay al al's done we'll we'll move on from the al we'll step aside real quick and when we come back we can break down the two nl series that are going on hopefully you can catch me up a little bit more because it's hard to keep track of all this so i'll keep relying on slings for that Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian's beat reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, reporter and researcher for MLB.com as well. Sarah, okay, I know that I'm, I am, can only keep up with the highlights from Twitter during these games that I'm uh, also covering. So uh, I think the number one thing from this Phillies Braves series that I've seen so far everywhere on Twitter, one, um, one, I was like, oh, my God, are the Braves going to come back, too? Because I thought that the Phillies sort of had this locked up, and then all of a sudden the Braves started making a move. And two, it was one of those things, like I was talking about the rumblings in the, for the press room, in the press box, all of these things. Everyone started looking at each other like, did Nick Castellanos just make a really incredible catch? And it was it was funny because everyone was trying to be politically correct in the way that they were saying it, in a way of saying... This guy's not really known to do that, and he just did it on uh, probably the biggest play that he can possibly make right now. So uh, it was funny to hear everyone just be shocked in a way of, of how this played out. And goodness gracious, what a time to make that type of a catch. I think this was the Nick Castellanos game. And I feel like his time in Philly this year was not certainly the foot he would want to start on there. I don't think that's an insult to say. He played in 136 games. He dealt with injuries. He certainly was good if you look at certain splits. But overall, he wasn't the Nick Castellanos that, you know, he would have wanted to be or that anyone would have expected at his best. He was at his absolute best in this game. So we'll start at the end because you made reference to the catch. So in the ninth, as you mentioned, it got a little sketchy for the Phillies bullpen, which happens as we know, and maybe their downfall in this postseason, we'll see. But Zach Eflin came in to get the, at the time, I don't think it was even a save because I think it was 7-3. So he came in to finish the game, not even get a save, not a save situation. Ronald Acuna Jr. singles. Dansby Swanson singles. Austin Riley strikes out. And then Matt Olson hits a big home run to center field. Three-run homer. The tying run to the plate. Ball center field sends Marsh back onto the track at the wall. All of a sudden, it's 7-6. There's a mound visit. They keep Eflin in. And William Contreras comes up. And this is the moment where, you know, if he gets a hit, you're going to feel like it's over for the Braves. Even though it would be one base runner with one out and nothing imminent, it would just feel like they can't come back from that. 
they're going to let this game be tied and it's going to end. And Travis Darno was on deck. He had already homered in the game. William Contreras hits this liner to Nick Castellanos and he lays out to the side kind of to make this catch. And the pitch. Swung on, line towards right field. Coming on, Castellano still coming. He dives, and he got it! What a catch. What a catch. Tremendous. I was worried the first time I saw it live that we might have the did he trap it or did he catch it kind of convo because it was so close to the ground when he caught it. But no issue, he caught it with a 55% catch probability. That is a three-star play. But during the regular season, he was three for 13 on three-star chances. And that 23.1% success rate was fourth lowest among 92 qualifying outfielders. He had negative 11 outs above average. That was tied for fourth fewest. I don't like negative stats, but we do have to paint the picture that Nick Castellanos is not exactly the outfielder. You expected to make that game-saving kind of catch, and there he was. But we need to back up, because that's not all he did in the game. He also had three hits through the first few innings of the game. He had three hits through the first four innings, to be specific. I believe they were all with runners in scoring position. The team jumped all over Max Reen, and he was a big part of that. So he was the second Philly with three hits in the first four innings of the postseason game. And this was one of my favorite things. And I, as I told uh, Buster Olney earlier today, I checked this about five times before I tweeted out because I was like, this has to be wrong. It wasn't, but he is the second Philly with three hits in the first four innings of a postseason game, joining Brett Myers, a pitcher, in the 2008 NLCS in Game 2. He, had, he saw Chad Billingsley at the Dodgers really well for two plate appearances, and then I believe we got a hit off a reliever. Brett Myers and Nick Casianov. What? <laughs> Are you serious? That, okay. I know that you talked about like your favorite stat being the one where it's like, okay, well, this is the first time ever to have like a a, a come or a walk off homer with multi run deficit, but I think that one's my favorite stat of the day. That would have I would have checked that about a trillion times um, if I was in your position. Uh, that is unbelievable. I love that stat. That is so perfect. That is so baseball. I love everything about all of that. And it's unbelievable. That game was just, that game was nuts. I am watching from afar the score changes, um, the late game ridiculousness, everyone talking about Nick Castellanos. I'm like, what, what are we doing? What is this game? Um, that was, that was awesome. Um, so shout out you for all of the stats on that, because I felt, felt like I just sat there through a lesson and I was loving every second of it. Um, but then you go to San Diego and, LA and to me I'm just getting tweets all the time of comparing the Clevenger Quantrill trade because both of them were on the mound yesterday and back in 2020 they were part of that trade 
um, with San Diego and Cleveland. And it was just Cleveland fans being upset about how this game was going because obviously this offense has struggled a good bit since the postseason started, but everyone like, okay, well, it's all right because we still run won the trade. And everyone's like, we still won the trade. Look what Clevenger's doing. Uh, that's got to be a, a rough way. I mean, I couldn't imagine being in that type of a position, but it, you have such a, a clunker of a start where you're giving up five runs, four earned, six hits, and just two and two-thirds innings for Clevenger. I, you know, it, the rivalry, the intense rivalry between these two teams it's not something that he would want tied to your name at this point. So a uh, rough start there um, obviously led to a loss. Sorry, I just saw a photo of Clevenger, and um, he had two like pigtail braids in his hair, and I've not seen that yet. So I got thrown off for a second. I'm like, wow, that's one way of going about it. So respect. I like that. I like that being a little different. Anyway, sidetrack. But yeah, that's not, not not quite the way that the Padres would have wanted that to uh, play out for them. So, And I know that I'm desperately waiting for Juan Soto to do something so that Sarah can come on this podcast and be like, okay, not only do I have Julio stuff, but I also have Juan Soto stuff. Uh, he's not really been that guy so far since the trades happened. So it's I think it's a, a difficult position to go up against the Dodgers regardless. I think that it's not easy whenever you have that type of an outing from Clevenger. It really felt like an extension of the regular season. So in the regular season, the Dodgers won 14 of 19 games against the Padres with a plus 62 run differential. So they dominated them. And in the first inning, I know I was texting you because whenever a player who used to be on Cleveland does anything notable, good or bad, I feel like I'm always texting you about it. Tyler Naquin, Clevenger, whoever it might be. So I was texting you and I said, they're hitting him really hard. And Trey Turner hit a home run in the first inning. Here's Trey Turner. And Turner lifts one to deep left field. Ranging back is Profar, and it's a 1-0 start for the Dodgers. A top-five home run hitting team has its first of the postseason. And this is exactly it was 110.8 off the bat. I immediately thought, that's not very Trey Turner. He's a great player, but you don't think of him with hard hit. And indeed, it was the second hardest hit home run he'd ever had. Um, in his career, he had a 112.21 in 2021 uh, against the Rockies. But the point being that this was not the reliable Clevenger who has been there at times for the Padres, but it's been a tough road back for him. And of course, with the injury and the time he spent injured when he was first on the team. But, you know, part of what stands out to me is that the Padres' bullpen did an incredible job. I mean, this game ended up being 5-3. All of those five runs were scored in those first three innings off of Clevenger. The Padres' bullpen did not allow a hit. The Dodgers got six hits all off of Clevenger. And I think if there's something for Padres fans to look toward, I do think that that is encouraging. They showed that they can shut down 
that Dodger offense. They just have to do it a little bit sooner in the game. But they did get to Julio Arias a little bit. And it, there was a point where it felt like maybe the game was not fully in hand. But that's when Evan Phillips came in. And he's such a great story for the Dodgers. Just the turnaround from who he was with the Rays, how he made his way to the Dodgers, and how they've gotten the absolute utmost out of him. And I feel like he was really the player of the game for the Dodgers. He pitched an inning, kept everything at bay, and from there, the Dodgers were in control. But, you know, I like to look for positives, even for the team that lost. And I do think what the Padre bullpen was able to do is really notable, and they're going to need to find a way to quiet that offense early if they want to win a game in this series, let alone pull off the upset. Now, before we move on and end our talk on the NL, um, I'm just curious what you think. I mean, you move into game two and you have Hugh Darvish and Clayton Kershaw. And Darvish has pitched well against the Dodgers this year, but Clayton Kershaw is obviously Clayton Kershaw. Uh, what's your gut feeling on saying, like, on that pitching matchup? Like, who do, you, who do you think has the edge going into that? Because right now I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, this is going to be a great game to watch. It is. I do think it's advantage Darvish only because he pitched so well against the Mets. But, you know, so recently, basically five days ago. And I think, you know, he had the second best calendar month of his career to end the season. His September was better than every other month of his career other than in, I believe it was September 2012, his first year in the bigs. The only time he was better, if you look at a handful of different stats, batting average, whip, ERA, what have you. He ended really with all of the momentum, pitching really, really well. He is a Cy Young candidate type of pitcher. Obviously, Sandy Alcantara is going to win, but he is the type of guy who will get some votes at some point or certainly worked his way into that conversation even heading into next year. And... I, I think I go advantage Padres with that, even though Clayton Kershaw is Clayton Kershaw, and I don't care about the postseason narrative. We're so far past that. But Clayton Kershaw is also older and was injured this year. He did have a couple really sparkling outings, but Yu Darvish is at the best he's been. So I think I go there, but it feels like with all of these games with these outstanding pitchers, if someone scores in the first inning, they're going to win because these guys hunker down and figure it out. And that's what happened even with Joe Musgrove in that game against the Mets. He had maybe a little bit of being um, vulnerable early on, and then he just locked in. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I, I'm excited to watch Darvish pitch. I'm looking forward to the fact that I'm actually able to watch that game. Uh, it seems odd to be able to do that during the postseason, but this weird schedule of game off day, game off day, I'm going to take advantage of that and be able to watch some other baseball. So I think it's going to be uh, really, really fun to watch Darvish play and uh, pitch, and I think that he 
could be dazzling in this game, which you don't really get to see too often in the postseason. So I think we can wrap up our postseason talk and shift our focus to thinking about how we're going to choose one moment from all of this stuff in the past week for our favorite moments in baseball. But um, I have mindset. I am confident in mine. But when we come back, we can get into those. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, do you have your favorite moment from baseball this past week? I do, and I don't like to talk about myself, but I think I have to, because if I don't, I'm being too rude to too many people. But um, if you're not aware, if you're listening to us and you didn't see... I announced last Thursday on social media that I have been battling ALS. Mandy knew this and others in the baseball community knew this, but I'm trying not to cry here. Well, if you guys don't know Sarah, she cries every seven seconds about all of this stuff. So if she's able to make it through this, that's going to be the biggest W of the day. So, okay, you can do it. I was... I was just blown away by how many people reached out, what they said, everything um, that the baseball community, that you, of course, and everyone have done for me. And I didn't expect this kind of reaction at all. I was sharing it just to not harbor this within anymore and feel a little bit more comfortable but I did not expect the outpouring. And I, I mean, it's still going on. I still have so many people left to answer. If you're listening and I owe you a text or a tweet or anything, it is coming. It may be on November 6th um, after the season, but it is coming. But I didn't expect any of this at all. I expected some people would say a few nice things and then we would move on and it, it's just incredible and if you're listening and the number one thing I want you to know is I say baseball is the best a lot, that is well known, this is why. It doesn't even just have to do with what happens on the field. These people are amazing, and the baseball community is unlike anything else in the world. So hopefully, maybe through me, you have seen that over the last week, and I'm just so grateful. So I don't like that I had to pick myself for my thing, but I'm not picking myself. I'm picking everybody else and what they've done for me. So are you going to not like whenever I pick you for my thing too? Or is that 
is that going to be okay or <laughs> oh boy oh boy no i'm okay one obviously it's the fact that you did go public with this and the reactions of everybody have been so incredible um you say you didn't expect any of it. I did. I knew this was going to be the response and I knew how insane it was going to be. I tried to convince you of that and there's never any winning with you. So I need to practice my skills of arguing with you. I'm getting there. I'm getting better. Um, but I knew this was going to be it. But even I've even felt overwhelmed for you for how much it's been. It's really just been over the top. People are so insanely nice and it's nice to see this side of the world because social media can just be such the opposite and it can be such a dark, angry, mean place and it doesn't need to be. And this has just been so refreshing to see how people can be and when things truly matter, like everyone can drop the other stuff and focus on what really matters here. And so... It's been so uplifting, but my favorite moment was the Mets game, um, and I was hesitant to bring this up because I figured you're going to be a puddle about seven seconds into this, but um, I'm ready for it, and we're all embracing it, but I'm telling you, I was so exhausted after the day that I had covered and um, just like the week leading up to that, it was just so crazy, so I'm sitting there like half asleep on my couch, and I have the Mets game on, and then all of a sudden I hear... We just want to take a moment for Sarah Langs and I'm jumping up. I'm like, wait, what? What's going on? Um, turn up the volume. I start screaming at my husband. I'm like, he's like falling asleep too. And I'm starting to smack him. I'm like, get up, Angela, wake up, look at this. And it was just so cool to see your name up in your face and everything up on their jumbotron there to see, to hear. I know you're close friends with ESPN, um, the way that they talked about you. I thought that was just such a special moment. And it was just so cool to see the baseball world embraces the way that I expected everyone to, I knew everyone would, and for everyone to deliver the way that they've delivered in that, and that expectation being set so high, and it's already been blown over, and I'm saying my expectation, I know you didn't even expect anyone to care, but uh, I, I knew this was going to be the reaction, and even my sky-high expectations for this were just blown past, um, so yeah, this week has been unbelievable to sit here and watch everything that you've received and the support you've received. It's just, uh, it's so awesome. And, and to think of the number of people, not just that you can make this baseball community, you can make the social media world right now be a little bit of a better place just to have that outlook and just that positivity rather than, as I said, anger and darkness and all that fun stuff. <laughs> Uh, it's just the ALS community and how they're benefiting from having this type of voice and the recognition and the understanding of what this, like this disease is. And just for people to understand it a little better, because I will admit I knew nothing before you gave me this news. I knew a little bit. Everyone in this world has heard of Lou Gehrig. Everyone knows about Lou Gehrig and what happened. Um, but I didn't realize until I started looking into it more because, okay, my best friend has this. Let's figure out what this is. Um, I didn't realize how little has been advanced since Lou Gehrig announced that he had this. And um, so many things that are out there now, I think it's just you can be such a voice for this and hopefully can impact so many people 
um, allow people to have more awareness about this, do the, everything that you can do to support the ALS world, which I know you've already started to do and wanting to have this fundraiser that I'm going to fight you over later to make sure that you get some of it as well. But um, that'll be a fight for a couple months from now. Um, I'm, as I told you, I'm saving my blood pressure for now uh, of fighting you. I'll just cross that bridge when we get to it. But wanting to impact the ALS community the way that you want to right now is just, it's so incredible, inspiring, and people can learn from your journey and the fact that you were brave enough and courageous enough to share your story. Other people would be able to benefit from this as well. So um, this has been just the most incredible week for me. So I can't even imagine what it is for you. It has to be on steroids compared to what I feel. So um, yes, it's been unbelievable and so ridiculously proud of you for the way that you've handled this thank you thank you so of course much. i i yeah. don't even know i think we have to stop talking <laughs> now i don't even know where to go but i'm so grateful for everybody so grateful for you the uh, tweet thread you had about when i shared this information with you made me cry and many people have mentioned to me how amazing you are, which I already knew, so I don't Stop. know why they're bothering Stop. to say that, but I appreciate it, and it's true, and I'm going to keep talking, but... This is, what Sarah, this is what Sarah does. She's changing the topic to be about someone else. Stop it. Stop it. We'll cut this off now, <laughs> but I will say Mandy mentioned this fundraiser, and of course, the thing with it is that Mandy is running a half marathon in January because I was a runner, am a runner, whatever we want to say, ran a handful of half marathons. Mandy had never run before, never run before she started training for this. Now she's going to run 13.1 miles in early January. So that is who she is. That is all you need to know about Mandy Bell. I played sports and running in sports, I played basketball, softball, tennis. Running in sports is so simple because you're distracted and you're doing, you have some other goal. Running to run, not ideal. Let me just tell you. And you were a psychopath who never listened to music when you would run. So I don't know how you do that. Like I couldn't be trapped alone with my thoughts for that long because I would start to go stir crazy. I keep making jokes to people that like, if only Sarah would have just been like a competitive eater and I could have been someone going for competitive e eating for fundraising, I would destroy this. Instead, I'm gonna practice my old lady pace of running a, a half marathon with my, my cane and trying to keep up with all the young bucks running around. But no, I'm excited. I think it's gonna be a blast. I'm more excited that you're gonna be in Disney with me. We're going to have such a great time to do that. And um yeah, it's just, this week has been so much fun, and uh, it's weird to say that this, this type of situation can be such a great thing, but it's been unbelievable this past week. So, yes, I'm going to just wrap it up so Sarah can go cry for the 12th time already today, and it's only 1.23 when we're recording this, so that's growth. That's actually growth, so we're, we're moving forward here, but that'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, which we always hope you are, or you have any suggestions for us, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and we'll see you next week.